Okay, it's conference game week all across the board. Welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. I'm Yogi Roth, joined by Ted Robinson and, of course, our producer, Michael Molinari. And if you're watching this online, you notice a fourth face. That's right. It's the quarterback of the Beefs, Chance Nolan, starting quarterback at Oregon State. We are calling Oregon State versus USC this weekend on the Pac-12 Networks. Find it anywhere where you love over the top, whether it's sling, boo-boo, whatever. We got you covered there because it's going to be a great one with that. Chance, welcome to our show, man. We appreciate it. Nah, man. Thank you guys for having me, man. It's always a pleasure to get on and chop it up with you guys. So I'm excited to do this for sure. Heck yeah. All right. So you've had quite the journey, right? From the Tony Franklin system to JC to the crazy game against Oregon. You come in and sneaking in to win the ball game. feels like it was many moons ago. But now you're the entrenched starter. You're the guy. What does it feel like now with a team that's got a 3-0 and start? You're the catalyst. You know what the internal expectations are. But now there's a ton of buzz around the game that we're all going to be calling this weekend. For sure. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, last year we got off to a hot little start. And we kind of had the same little momentum going in uh, when we went down to go play Washington State. So I think for us, you know, this year it's been a lot of talk on just, you know, living and playing game by game. You know, taking it one game at a time. We got one football game this weekend we got to go out and execute a game plan and to get a W. And so I think just uh, for us, it's just, it's kind of, you know, not letting that those distractions, those that, that buzz around Corvallis kind of get, you know, all that talk of the things that's in the media right now, just not letting that get to our team and kind of, you know, keeping that close knit unit and having, a, you know, you know, that, that drive to go get another football game because it's such a long season, you know, we really haven't proven much yet. You know, we've won three non-conference games. Our, our first game in the Pac-12 will be, uh, you know, be looking to get off on the right foot there so this is kind of you know the new season starting and i think we're all kind of ready to get you know get it off on the right foot talk about buzz students are back wednesday right yep that yep. a little buzz what does that do for your team when you get uh the students back at a research and they're yeah, gonna be well, going for sc yeah man i mean anytime you get you know a bunch of you know young teenage you know young adults in the stands going crazy it always you know kind of throw some loopholes for the opposing team. So I think, you know, having everybody back, I think it'll be an awesome uh, atmosphere for the game. I mean, the last the last home game we had against Boise was a great atmosphere. So I'm just, you know, I'm really excited to see the turnout on this one. I know it's going to be a sellout, you know, with our uh, with our other side getting, you know, redone. But, but yeah, I know the buzz, there's just so many more people around Corvallis now, just driving around, seeing all the cars. It's like the population doubled three times, you know, overnight. So it's kind of, that's neat to see, but uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be cool, man. I'm sure the environment will be awesome. There'll be a lot of fans out there. I think it's 6.30 uh, kickoff, so not too late, not a 7.30, so it should be I'll good. I'll give you a secret. 6.40, we're going to kick. That's okay, the TV yeah. guy knows that. 6.40, we're going to kick. Okay. All right. Okay. Not too bad. Chance, just watching the first couple of games, I, it's so clear. You're, you're deep ball, and you started like the first series of the first game against Boise. You take that deep shot to Treshawn. Your deep ball has been pretty good. So just talk about the work you put into it and where you think it is now. Yeah, man. I mean, well, in the offseason, I got with the coaches and we kind of watched a lot of film, just all my clips on the deep balls last year and kind of how my momentum at times was falling out or I was kind of falling away from the throw or I was taking too big of a you know stride with that front foot. So now I think it's just getting that foot in the ground and uh, kind of elevating. And I think really for me, it's just extending my arm and getting that ball to you know travel the most and get the most rotation out of your finger. So for me, it's just a lot of mechanics and stuff like that. But um, I think, yeah, I mean, getting more air on the football, being a little more accurate. I think when you put more air on the football, it just makes you not have to be so perfect when you throw it. So I think for me, I just kind of learned, you know, get the ball in the air. And, you know, when you don't have a deep safety, you can kind of let, let it go and let your guy kind of track it. So for you, me, you, you know, it's been helping me. And you have more than enough guys that can run it too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, our speed is – you see that shows up on t- – all the time we got guys that can you know take the top off for sure so uh, i know that puts fear in the defenses and we you know we love to have that with our running game you know we can get that going you know we can be pretty uh tough to stop so one of the hardest things for a quarterback i think is to turn his back to a defense Mm -hmm. and then have to make a play and read a defense Mm -hmm. you're making a living doing that now under center deep play action running the ball with a litany of backs that you have what has it been like for you to go from the system you came from to then learning the system you're in and being able to identify a front, a defensive coverage, deep play action, turn around and still be accurate with the read that you're going to make. Yeah. Well, I think again, that just goes back to the film study and practice and all the, the reps I've been getting, being with the ones and getting those extra reps, I think just honestly helps me more. You, you, you know, you, you get the same play with the same look, you know, over and over again, and you can kind of see the same type of 
shell defenses and you can kind of find, you know, where your eyes are supposed to go when you get what type of coverage. So for me, it's just been getting, you know, getting in the film room and seeing the clips on film and then actually going out and doing it. And I think, you know, when you go out there and your defense is giving you, you know, similar looks that you're seeing on tape, it, you know, it helps. And uh, for us, you know, our scout team does a great job. Our coaches do a great job at, you know, giving us some looks that we see on tape and uh, helping us out. So I think for me, it's just knowing where my eyes need to go after you snap back. You know, you want to snap your eyes quick and find that, you know, that safety or that nickel or whatever, you know, your key is for that particular route combination. So I think, yeah, for me, it's just um, I've grown a lot in my knowledge of the game and knowledge of coverages and what people, teams are trying to do to you. So I think that helps a lot. And then, you know, just in the run checks, coach, you know, puts a lot on me to get us into the right play running the football. So I think, uh, yeah, just overall knowing, you know, what, what player is which player on the field and, you know, what's kind of their whole – you know, structure as a defense, you know, helps a lot with all of that stuff. I, I got another TV question for you, not a football question. We're going to put a mic on Jack Coletto pregame. Am I going to get anything good? And am I going to get anything that I can use? Oh, yeah. I mean, Jack, yeah, he, um, he's a wild card, dude. You know, you never really know what you're going to get, but you know, it's going to be good. So I think, yeah, I think it's going to be good. No matter what it is, it'll be good. Is so he looking, at, is he looking at you right now? <laughs> nah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You're gonna have to just wait and see for that one. So, so chance all of us in our business, we we talk about this, but I want to hear it from you as a player. What did the last play of Fresno State mean for you guys as a team? Yeah, well, man, that just that whole finish and that whole game. Just, it was awesome to come out and win that game and go down there and, you know, kind of rewrite history for ourselves, you know, as a college, really. I mean, I don't think we ever won a football game down there before that. And, um, you know, kind of to end it on, you know, like kind of like a walk-off like that was pretty surreal. I don't think I've ever ended a football game on, like, the last snap like that when, you know, somebody runs it in, which was pretty pretty awesome. But um, but once we once we called that play, I kind of knew we were, we were going to get in, honestly. I was like, one yard, we already ran once with Jack. He walked in the end zone. I'll probably walk in again. Mm -hmm. I was kind of set up for it but uh yeah I mean it was it was an awesome feeling to go down there and get that win to come out and just I mean honestly to share that experience with the guys with the coaches down there it was just awesome I know we didn't play the best football game we wanted to play but we came out on top and that's really all that matters you coming out on top oh go ahead I just oh, said yeah. you mentioned uh, history. Hey, Yogi, Yogi okay. um happy birthday as well man yes. oh thanks dude yeah, Appreciate yeah. It. let me get one more Yogi and then you can have the last one we gotta okay. let go uh you mentioned history you made history down at the Collie last year. This might be the last time USC and the Beavs play for a long time. This game could be it for a while. What would it mean to you to kind of put a bookend on breaking the streak at the Collie and maybe having that last win against the Trojans as well? Yeah, man. Well, I mean, it'd be it mean a lot for I think our team to you know go in, you know, be the top ten ranked team and uh, at home to start off the conference play. And I think. Uh, you know, we had a great, great practice today and we're getting ready for it. So for us, I think, um, yeah, that would mean a lot to us, but we're really not thinking too much of it. We're taking it one game at a time and we're just trying to go win another football game this Saturday. I was going to ask that question. So my final one is what, what don't we know about your team? Like, what does America not know about what the Beavs are about? Man, I think they, they don't really know about our ability to overcome and to get behind I think um, a lot of teams kind of have that that different type of, you know, they point fingers when things go a certain way. But I think our team really, we really rallied behind each other. And it's really all encouraging responses on the sideline. Nobody's really pointing fingers. And if anything goes south like that, that's so quick to get cleaned up and it's so quick to get squashed. Like there's nothing. It's all, you know, next play, next down mentality because, you know, that's how you have to be in football and, and in life as well. So for us, our coaches do a great job at preaching that. And we, we just try to take that mentality into football. And we, uh, you know, we play as brothers and we play as one because, uh, you know, the star of the team for us is the team. So. And I assume you're going to play as 90 angry beavers oh, on yeah. Saturday. That's what for I heard. Sure. 90 <laughs> angry beavers. Got that well, for sure. Chance, you are our first guest. It's going to be tough to top you. We really appreciate it. Not only will we see you 630 this Saturday, we'll see you 11 Pacific for the Utah game the following week. Tell your friends, tell your family, seven-day free trial, FUBU TV. You can watch both games for free. Cool, cool. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Real man. Cool. Thank you for having me, man. Thanks, Chance. Appreciate you guys. Yep. Chance Nolan, first player we've had on the pod. Michael, great get by you. Nice yes. job, producer.
Humanity, Michael. Very good. All right, real quick, guys. Three three pieces of business. I want to say happy birthday, Yogi. You heard Chance reference that Yogi's, you've had a mouthful of salt already today, right? Yes, sir. God bless you. That's the way it should be. Secondly, Molinari, do your thing again. How can people watch USC Oregon State this week? Well, there's a couple. Sling TV for sure, if you want. And I think Sling TV is a great product. But FUBU TV, F-U-B-O TV has a free seven-day trial. So let's say you're an Oregon State fan and we've got you the next two weeks. You can turn on Fubo TV Saturday at 5 p.m. You can watch USC game at 6.30. You can watch the 11 a.m. Pacific kickoff of Utah, 3 o'clock. If you like the product, stick with it. If you don't, cancel. You don't pay a dime. So you can get both Oregon State games for free, plus a whole bunch of other Pac-12 content that week for free. Check us out. We have a great product. No risk. Thank you. And look, if your carrier already gets you Pac-12 networks, that's great. We're happy about that. But for people like me that my carrier doesn't, these are ways that you can watch us for a pretty big game coming up this Saturday. And then the last thing I wanted to throw out, guys, just to start, and then we'll get into everything else. But look, the news of the weekend was after we all did our game Saturday, a coaching change again. We talked Friday morning with Chip Kelly about this at UCLA, and we've had this conversation with him before I had it with him before in an NFL stop, um, the midseason coach change, which uh, has happened twice now, Nebraska and Arizona State. And I, I just can't, the, the quick thing to me that hit me when I heard the news Sunday was the blueprint was laid out last year at USC, wasn't it? What happened when, when that coach change was made? That season was gone. The season was gone there in today's world, every player and every coach now on the two schools that have just changed coaches is a free agent, right? In today's world, every player and every coach is a free agent. How do you sustain any cohesion when that's the case? Um, and in the case of USC, they didn't make their coaching higher until the last day of the season. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, only, Mike Bone, the athletic director, and his staff could talk about the back, back stories of that stuff, but they didn't get their coach until the season was over. So I, I just, listening to Chip talk about and listening to him talk several times about how, just the basic principle, not finishing what you started, right? And what does it say about the hiring process when the leader of the program is dismissed? I mean, those things just resonated to me when I heard the news on Sunday. And, and we don't need to go into the specifics of ASU. That was plain as day for everybody to see on Saturday night. But I just think in the context of where it stands in college football today, I just thought that's very important. Yeah. I've never heard from more people at like midnight on a Saturday around Arizona State after that game, to your point, Ted. But not for a second did I think we'd wake up Sunday mm -hmm. and they would be in search of a new head coach. And the only time that I think, and we don't know the inner workings, but like if the head coach lost the locker room, if the guys hate playing for him, that's one thing. But if they don't, it's it's another. And it's just it just reminds us like there's so much going on in an athletic department. It's not always just about like what is the locker room, right? Like how do people feel about it? What are the donors like? What is the fan base saying? Like there's so much that that we're not privy to inside, but God, I hated it. And then when I watched the press conference, it was mutual from ray anderson and, and i could imagine herm and ray sitting up late at night and saying you know what maybe it's not working um what i hope now for the 50 plus players i'm sure we'll get asu at some point this season 50 plus new players new players to that team i hope they don't go down the road of okay what's best for me don't get hurt hey what's best for me uh, i'm gonna bounce after a year and hit the portal like what's best for me and and that's gonna be sean iguano's biggest challenge um and their schedule. It's, USC did, it's what USC couldn't get done last year. That's, That's exactly my point. right. That's, That's exactly my point. Right. And and um and and look, I, I we were there for the spring game, Yogi, and I I know I felt this way, and I, I don't know if you would share it, but I certainly left the spring game with a pretty good vibe that this was going to be the last year for her. It was closing in on 70, which is not what I mean, he's done it enough. And I thought this might be the year that he just did it and rode off into the sunset. I didn't think it was going to happen in this manner. So it's it's simply perhaps advancing what was going to be inevitable. But I, I just, I'm, I'm with you, Yogi, where you said so many things happen on a campus. This isn't a professional business yet. It's getting there, but it's not there yet in that all you care about is this 
narrow tunnel of winning and losing. There is more than that still at universities. So the trend that's coming into play now to see two power five programs in the first three weeks blow coaches out and to have Chip Kelly talk with us on Friday about Scott Frost because they have their organ hooked together. Um, it was just a little jarring to me. And I, I, I think, again, I think fans need to think about this more in today's context that every Arizona State's player phone started ringing, right? Come play for me next year. Come play for me next year. Every player on that team had their phone start ringing and every coach is starting to think, okay, where am I going to get a job next year? And, uh, you know, the Michael, I want to hear your opinion, but the one that isn't going to get a lot of play and today it hit me because Gary Bryant. Lincoln Riley has come out and said the wide receiver is going to redshirt this year. So now if you're ASU, you're saying, hey, I only play four games. I want to save myself a year. If I'm a young player, even if I'm an older player, do I want to save myself a year? So I just, I just, my only message is to the players of like, guys, it may seem chaotic, but you only get 12 and you only have nine more and you'll remember them the rest of your life. Don't have a case of the screw it. Don't screw it. Screw it. Don't, don't do that. Don't do it. You'll hate it. You'll regret it. I promise you. Try to capture some magic if you can, because the next three weeks you're gonna they're gonna require your best. Utah, USC, Washington. Michael. I mean, my opinion is are you making the move because you have a plan moving forward? Or is, are you making a reactive move or a proactive move? And I think I've seen a lot more reactive than proactive moves lately. And you know, there's the exception at USC that turned out. That all worked out, but it's far, few and far between that all work out. And usually it's a speed bump for the program for the next few years. Uh, the second thing I'd say, Herm as a man, as us dealing with him as a man, I've never felt like more included. Sometimes, you know, and I, I don't blame, I'm not blaming anyone, but sometimes the producer sort of in the corner as a second, secondary level, let's the announcers or talk to the producer sort of there. Never, ever felt that way with Herm. Everyone in that room was just as important and, that is that is what I'll take away from my experience with him. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah, I'm uh he was all class. Yeah. He was incredible to us. So wish wish him, his family the best. Uh we'll we'll talk about the ASU job in weeks to come. I have an opinion on it uh that I want to share with you guys. But in the meantime, um, and Herm Edwards, he was mic'd up a lot for us. Michael, you kind of dropped a little breaking news here. Jack Coletto is gonna be mic'd up in pregame for our game. We got the game of the week, and I think it's important yeah. to double down on that. We just yeah. heard from Chance Nolan. USC, top 10 in America, number seven. Oregon State, top 25 in my eyes. AP poll, we're here to help. Let us know. Uh, but with that said, I think it's a top 25 matchup. Standing room only now. They've opened it up to just standing room seats. It's going to be bonkers in Reeser. Uh, I believe, here's my number, 26,561, I believe, is the amount of people that will be there. Uh, pending the standing room, we'll see. But Michael, how did you get that done? Take us into the production. Like, what what are we gonna hear? How does that thing even work? Um, and then tell we tell we gotta we gotta break this game down a little bit. Well, first of all, twenty six thousand on one side of the stadium, side. and yeah. you, Ted, and Sam on the other. <laughs> and the Trojans, by the way. Yes, and the Trojans. Yeah. So I don't know what 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 is the vibe on that? The Trojans get the quiets. Uh, yes. Well, Normally, so in the quieter in school, side, in the all quieter school, side, but an old school college. I mean, they had to change rules in basketball because teams with schools would put the visiting team directly in front of their school's band. I mean, stuff like that to make the huddles impossible. So I don't know. I mean, if I'm Oregon State, I want USC sitting right there. I want their sideline right in front of the Beaver band. Oh. I suppose theoretically they could have moved the visitors to the other side for this year. I suppose. I know. Um, I I'm just yeah, I'm yeah. just talking off the top of my head. Uh, Jonathan Smith's not so, going to do that though. Go ahead. There's Mike. no chance. Um, well. I think some of it stems from the success we had with Dan Lanning a couple of weeks ago. Um, the basic process is we uh, put a mic on a player or coach and record it in the truck. And we pick out the great Howard Ruby um, and help with some help. Our EVS uh, tape operator picks out certain things he thinks are going to be good, plays them for me. And then I call the sports information director or some representative of the school to listen to it. We play it to them offline, not on the air, meaning they have a special speaker that they can hear it and you don't hear it on TV. Um, they approve or disapprove. And then uh, sometimes I get to play it for you guys. Sometimes I just say, just react. It's about this, depending on where we are in the game. We don't have a chance to go to commercial to show it to you. We've played it before commercial. And um, and then we put it on the air. It's got very similar. Uh, NBA Wired has been doing this for years. It's almost exactly the same system as NBA Wired. 
Um, so uh, I, I just think it gives fans an inside access to what's going on. Now, Coletto, we actually have a mic inside. It's put in the pad. The transmitter is in his pads. Uh, we did a similar thing at the spring game. If you've seen any of our spring game coverage, and you can hear, you've seen the NFL. The difference is the NFL takes all the footage, edits it, puts it together, plays for the team, and then shows it to you on Tuesday. Here, we do this all within the game. So Jack Coletto just wore this. We just heard this, and now here it is on the air. And I think that's kind of the next step of access for football. And I appreciate the teams and coaches who've allowed us to do it so far. It's been great. Mm. All right. So, Ted, uh, Oregon State put it on SC last year. Chance Nolan went off in that game. They ran the ball all day long. Different team at USC, different players, obviously different staff, and a ton of explosiveness. Like, wh where did your eyes go? So, so, to me, it's first quarter. Yeah. So, what's happened the last two weeks? I, I discount week one for USC. I mean, in terms of Rice being an overmatched opponent. But the last two weeks, what did USC do? Just came out and thrashed the first quarter. Yeah. Jump out in front. Both Stanford and Fresno State scored with no, against both Stanford and Fresno State, they scored multiple times first quarter with no trouble, no resistance. Oregon State has to put first quarter resistance because nothing will take the angry Beavers out more than being down 14 nothing early. So it's obvious you've talked about it, Yog. It's that secondary for Oregon State. Can that secondary match up? And again, no one is expecting them to stone USC. Slow them down. Just slow them down. Get out of the first quarter in a level game. Don't play uphill the entire game, which is what Stanford and Fresno both faced and neither could even you know, get, get much going after that. So to me, that's where I start with, and we can go around and say, hey, you know, can because USC's defense is not a shot, a lockdown defense right now either. So can Oregon State throw some deep balls on them, et cetera. We can go through all those things, but to me, it starts with Oregon State's defense has to play the first quarter and get me out of the first quarter with this place buzzing and everybody hopping and we have life. Yeah. If I'm Oregon State, I'm taking the ball if I win the toss and I'm running the ball and I'm doing what teams have done to SC. To your point, can I take away an early possession? Because you're right. It's been – Jordan Addison, Kayla Williams, it's early. We get it. But if, if there's going to be uh, marketing – statements for other players for the Heisman like we might as well throw our our team into that dialogue around Jordan Addison and Caleb Williams like those guys are real they've been unstoppable on in every game whether it's you want to play man coverage you want to play zone coverage they've ran through it so I, I cannot wait to watch two guys who I think are in the NFL in Rajon Wright and Alex Austin I think they're NFL corners I, I don't think they're first round picks but I think they'll play at that level and then you add in Katan Oladapo Plays like that big nickel safety mm -hmm. spot. Uh, guy who's played forever, of course, in Jaden Grant. Um, you just kind of go through their depth, and you're like, man, these guys have played a lot of snaps. So I'm with you. And then even their scheme, they're going to put guys on islands. And when you go back, and we talked about it in the Rice game, if you look at Caleb Williams at Oklahoma, when he struggled statistically, it was when guys were playing press man coverage and screwing up timing down the field. So I also want to see the officiating crew. Are they going to let him play? Like, how tight is this going to be called with wideouts and DBs? I, I don't say that often, but I, I hope it they comes from him. a guy who coached for Pete Carroll for yeah. five years. He yeah. knows what he's talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious about that. You know, we'll ask yeah, him. That's a good call. And I'll say this. I, I'll say this, guys, as well. Uh, and this struck me the, uh, yesterday watching. I watched Fresno State game live, thank because of our uh, breakfast game Saturday, which was great. But then I watched it again yesterday back, and I'm sitting there going, my God, this is what I've been – loud about the last few years usc is getting its offensive identity back mm -hmm. and it's just so nice to see and i don't know what the heck they were doing the last couple of years but it wasn't usc now they're playing like usc and when i when i i'm gonna really say because everyone focuses on skill position their offensive line looks better their yeah. offensive line looks better mobile opening holes hand the ball off and run you have you have three to four running backs that you trust do that and Man, I, I just, to me, watching the way USC, it isn't just throw the ball all over the lot. It's an offense. It's a balanced offense. And I, I just love it. I just think it's, again, I you know, my word, identity. USC's getting it back. Well, you know you're doing a big game when you start hearing from people. Everybody's busy this time of year, but I'm getting these texts and emails from people 
that you don't normally don't hear much about, but Guy Haberman sent me, Yogi and I, a great one to back up what you just said, Ted. USC touchdowns on 11 of 14 first quarter drives this year. So they have they have started hot. I think that's a huge factor. And obviously the one I, I wish I asked Chance, but just 10 takeaways for USC's defense already, seven interceptions. I think stopping USC, but also avoiding that early takeaway to give USC's defense a little life because they've been, we saw three pick sixes in our game against Rice and uh, seven more takeaways this year so far. So I agree. I don't, you watch their defense, you're like, how are they doing this? And then you, you see that number 10 takeaways. So I think, oh, before we say can avoid the takeaways, they got a decent shot. Yeah. Last one on this one. I love what Chance talked about around his mechanics because he has gotten a lot better. He started that in the spring. He's taken it to the fall. If they're going to win this game, they can't have drops. And that's just being a truth teller. They've had uncharacteristic deep ball drops in the f- every single week of the season. And they can't do that in this game. When they get their chances to put points on the board mm-hmm. and explosive plays, especially without Luke Musgrave, who's going to miss this game. Sounds like he might miss a couple more. We'll, we'll learn more as we get up there. Uh, those guys got to elevate. Treshawn Harrison, who did it at the end of the Fresno game. Silas Bolden, he's had his moments. Anthony Gould has had his moments. But they've all had their share of drops. That can't happen in this game. Um, all right, let, let's keep it going in the conference slate. Another top 25 matchup, according to us at least. The Oregon Ducks and Washington State. <laughs> Ted, sorry, man, I can't help it on this one. Uh, oh, in Pullman, sold out, standing room only again. Okay, so watching Oregon, because I, I, I'm i the one, I, I buried this lead because of what happened at Arizona State, but I was the guy that all week was getting eyeballed and including Professor Schmelzley was giving me grief when I was stating Friday night that I thought the whole weekend was about Oregon and Utah holding home turf. I thought it was it was their seasons, both of them, because they both have national expectations. That's my point. It's not just winning the conference, it's being national. And they both did. And Oregon, what jumped off again to me, Yogi, they tackled. They tackled. I was watching the first quarter. Go, my God, this is exactly, there was no pinball defense like they had against Georgia. The first guy, most often, was actually making the tackle. Yeah, yeah, they were. They played clean. Offensively, they played efficient. And this was, this was more back and forth than I thought. Uh, Oregon just was more opportunistic. Whether it was a stop on a critical down, a conversion on a fourth down for them, like, and they were so creative in the red zone. Like you watch some of the stuff that Kelly, Kenny Dillingham did with Bo Nix. They're going to continue to grow. They're not 46 points worse than Georgia. They had 29 missed tackles, 376 yards after contact. Brandon Dorless looked like the all-conference player we expect him to be. This is going to be a fun game. And then for the Kooks, this is a team that's had Oregon's number. Yeah, you know, not a lot of players have been there when they've had that, but they had a, a run of success against them. We know what this game is like. We saw it with game day a couple of years ago when they were there for this contest. Um, this is going to be, this is a big test. Cause I was, I was very impressed with the Cougs over the weekend because they completely dominated Colorado state. It wasn't like their first game of the season where it was sloppy. It wasn't like the second game of the season where it was just, you know, defense and effort. Like this was like a confidence builder game. I don't know which way it's going to go, guys, but I I love the matchup for Jake Dickert against this fellow under 40-year-old head coach, Dan <laughs> Lanning. Yeah, I'm just disappointed for Dan that his first trip to Pullman isn't going to be in late November at an 8.39 <laughs> p.m. kickoff on FS12 or whatever with snow blowing in the air. That would have been a real nice introduction to Pullman. Oh, my God. No, it's, going to be, it's going to be a great atmosphere because it's going to be the middle of the day. It's going to be beautiful. And yeah. it's a, I think a one o'clock kick in Pullman in late September. That's spectacular. And, uh, and yeah, it's great. I mean, it's great. It's look what Oregon again and Utah, I'm talking about Utah too. What they did last Saturday was phenomenal. And Utah was even more impressive to me because they kind of got stoned in the first quarter. San Diego state hit them a bunch, hit them a bunch and stoned them. And Utah had to answer. And of course, part of it was San Diego state's quarterback got knocked out and they really, sadly don't have plan B that was fairly evident but then to rising's credit rising was basically lost and he got his game going in the second quarter and then they wind up rolling they wind up rolling on a pretty good team uh two things professor Bob Schmelzley and his team will be in Corvallis all like 11 a.m till the conclusion of our game mm-hmm. so that's going to be quite a day for them Ashley 
Nick Aliotti. I'm not sure. We have a stretcher ready for Aliotti, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I thought. We had fun. Aliotti, it was great to see Aliotti at UCLA, <laughs> by the way, last week. It was, it was fun. Actually, I'll tell you another TV thing. He, Ashley, and Michael Bumpus came in the truck. Nick had never been in the truck. And my uh, partner and director, Scott Barkey, that's all Nick wanted to talk about. After, oh, that's Scott Barkey. I'm like, what about I'm chopped liver, Nick? All of a sudden, I thought, you know, I thought we Italians stuck together, but he loved Bar- Barkey. He was very impressed. I didn't get much play from Nick. And then let's go. Let me jump real quick. Yeah. Scott Barkey, our director, does a great job, a phenomenal job, really deserves credit because I can't tell you how many times I've watched games the last few days where the director, the director controls, the producer says what they want, but the director really puts the stuff up on the screen that you all see on whatever screen you're watching, phone, mobile, or 90-inch TV. Well, in this day and age of football, everybody, and USC was doing it, they play at tempo. You really have to be careful about replays. And I see so many people get caught where there's a play being run live, but you're still watching the end of some slow-mo replay and Scott Barkey doesn't get caught. He's that good. He's that good. He does not get caught. You can always go back, let mm-hmm. a play run, and go back to that big play you wanted to show after the next play. We do that pretty well. The other one that he he was great on was South Alabama with the the fake field goal, and yes. I you know that shot from the camera on the high end zone. So now everyone's in a different mode. Now we're on a horizontal coverage mode instead of a vertical, and all of a sudden they fake and they get into they're going for it and. But him and the cameras did a great job yeah. there because those can always be a little rough. But we got back into Scott uh, coverage from the other side. It was yeah. really good. Scott and his crew were better than Sam and I were on that one. Was, never ever expected that to happen. I'm, I'm not call. sure. Never. I'm expected. not sure anyone expected yeah. that. I, I got to give. Anyway. I, I can't get through a pod without mentioning the stats train Greg Mraz too. Great, maybe the coolest stat I've seen in a long time. The last time Oregon State and Washington State both started three and zero, 1915. How about that? Damn. I, I don't really remember. Yeah, just, don't, I, I don't think might, I remember that. I yeah. may have gotten photos of both of those 1915 squads that you'll see in our show. Oh, on of Saturday. course you did. Of course yeah. you did. All right. Well, hey, in 2022, Washington football is seemingly back. Who was the that player was- of the week last week, Yog? Michael Penix. Absolutely. Player of the week in the conference. Yeah. Difference maker, week. right? Difference maker, Heisman candidate, the whole thing. Um, when I went back and watched it, it was a dismantling. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't an implosion on Michigan State side. Like they just were, they just got beat. You know, you just got to say what it is. And the execution from the offense of Washington was so impressive on every level. We all saw Michael Penix Jr. We all saw the two Jalen's, uh, Jalen Polk, McMillan ball out. We saw uh, their wide out, or excuse me, their running back look like a wide out, and Wayne Tawalapapa with that cut touchdown catch in the corner but it was the offensive line. They didn't allow a sack against the team that had the most sacks in the nation coming in, which was 12 with the defensive minded head coach. The starting line did not allow an offensive sack. And I think it's just notable of like how, I want to be careful with my word here, but like what the offense was last year at Washington. They didn't, it wasn't a lack of players. They didn't have Michael Penix, but the skill guys were there, at least a wide out. And now we're seeing with the system that we saw at Fresno State and this belief that the guys have. And look, if you said today, after three games, who are you going to predict to go to the title game? UW doesn't play SC or Utah. That, yeah. I'm picking that, Washington. And that helps them now, Yogan. I said this with you last week on, on Sirius Radio. That would have hurt Washington had they lost Saturday. Yeah. Because you need to make up a win, right? You need to get a quality win. Well, they have a quality win now. So – the fact they missed those two now plays into more help. Um, look, they haven't traveled yet, so I'm going to hold off, you know, waving the championship banner until they travel. Copy that. And and but but I mean, my God, this is such a different look. You have a big time player out there in Penix that looks that way, and we were on the field at the Rose Bowl. Saturday morning after our breakfast burritos, and we went up to Kane Womack, the South Alabama coach who spent one year as the defensive coordinator at Indiana. And I said to him that when we spoken over Zoom, it reminded me of our conversation last year with Kalen DeBoer when we were prepping for Fresno State UCLA. What did he say to us? He said, man, that'd be, that's a hell of a compliment if you put me in the same sense with Kalen DeBoer. Well, they spent that year together at Indiana. Yeah. The year Womack was the DC, 
Kalen was the OC. So they knew each other. And and I, the South Alabama is a different conversation because that guy, I think, is going to be somewhere big someday, too. But it was my point here is to say another incredible compliment to Kalen DeBoer. Yeah, he's he's great. I sent him a note after or before the game just saying, hey, Kane has tons of love for it. And he goes, oh, man, I love that guy and yeah. can't wait for today. Like, I just think that UW, when he was hired, it, there were some eyebrows raised a little bit around the country. You saw a lot of their guys dip their toe in the portal, try to figure it out. And what has he provided? Like a dramatic level of consistency. And I think been there, done that as a thing. And I think for him, and when you look at his staff or when you talk to players, they just say, man, like the operation side of us is so clean. Not just what we see on game day, but off the field, meetings, et cetera. Like it's just a really professionally run, smoothly run organization. And and I can't wait to watch them face Stanford because now they got to stop defensively the slow mesh, Stanford. Stanford, they don't turn the ball over twice in the first half. It's a different game against SC. I'm not saying they win the game, but it's 21-7. They're on the one-yard line and fumble going into the end zone. It's 38-14 before you know it. And Stanford's coming off a bye, and now Stanford's got to go 10 straight. But I, I'm looking forward to this one. Um, game time, 7.30. I'd imagine UW, right, now at the quarter system school, they got students as well. The atmosphere was insane last week. What do you think? What do you think Tanner McKee against this UW defense? Well, yeah, I mean, I think Stanford can definitely score. I mean, their position, I mean, to me, again, it was watching. that They've only played two games. One game is irrelevant. Yeah. So we only have USC. So gauge it all against the fact they're playing USC, but Stanford is very defensively challenged still. And they've made the change this year. They abandoned the old, you know, what Lance Anderson was playing was what Vic Fangio originally put in when he was there with Jim Harbaugh, the same defense. They kept it going all the way through until this year. They've made that change. And, you know, USC just picked them apart in the first half, scored at will. There was no other way to say it. And, um, you know, I, so I, again, it's hard to make a gauge because Stanford had the early week off. That was the other thing to note. Stanford plays through now. They don't have a week off the rest of the year. Um, so that's tough. It's, it's tough ask. It's tough ask for Stanford, the, by the way, on Stanford, let me say everyone has to remember in the PAC 12 Stanford has an awful schedule rotation. Part of it's their own doing, but they have an awful rotation. And this is the awful year. <laughs> they play everything on the road this year, except USC. USC, which they already had, was the one, you know, quality opponent they get home. They have to go to Washington, to Oregon, to Cal, big game, to Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame's a different conversation now, but it's still a tough trip. So so Stanford's f- walking right into that right now at Washington, at Oregon, first two weeks. Before Yogi segues to his Notre Dame game soapbox, which I know is coming in a moment. Uh, Washington. Can't wait. Again, we're t- this seems to be a theme, but that early, the early scoring, they scored the first 22 points of the game against Michigan State. So I think, I think they'll probably lay the hammer early on Stanford. That's my bet. And secondly, I did, I guess I missed the invite, invite to this serious radio show. But go ahead. <laughs> oh no, you didn't miss it. You're blacklisted, bro. <laughs> You've gotten too big on this, man. We, we Yogi and I are Dr. Frankenstein's here. <laughs> oh, so good. All right, so. Tough road trip, right? Ted, you just referenced Stanford, some tough road trips. Cal had a tough road trip. You know, I, I my phone, as you'd imagine, one guess who was blowing it up during our game. What Cal fan works at the Pac-12 Networks. Roxy was losing his mind on <laughs> the officials. So I'm like, I'm going to go back and watch this. And I don't watch um, much TV copies, just on purpose. And uh, just because I don't want like to be infiltrated too many opinions on our teams. Uh, but I went back and watched this game. And Cal had a good plan. Cal's moving the ball. Cal's finding some success. Notre Dame is, you know, struggling early on. And I think, I think there's two thoughts. One is I disagree with the call that was made on the offsides on the field goal. Um, I didn't see right down the line. That's a hard part of production, Michael. There had, and I think, but let's just make this. There has been no explanation that I, I've tried to find one. There's been no explanation of that call, so I don't even know what they called, right? Other yeah. than offside. Somebody said there was a snap viol- or, or harassing the snap or something. I haven't seen any official explanation. You don't need a shot down the line to see that no one was lined up. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. That's I would agree. The, the part that frustrates me as a college football fan 
from what I have seen, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, because I didn't do insane amount of research into it, but it was like the ACC officials are going to handle it internally and talk about it and share their findings <laughs> with the Pac-12 officiating crew led by David Coleman. And it's going to be an internal matter. I think we live in a world where like, just be accountable. Like nobody's calling a perfect game. Yeah. Nobody's great. I screw up every week. Like I, I don't like that. I don't like that when you're seeing games. I don't, and I don't think the game was decided by that. When I went back and watched it, I saw oh, it's many. The beginning of the second quarter. So please don't insult people's intelligence by calling that something that determined the game. Please. I'd agree with that. Um, but I do think that if we find findings, right? Like let's just talk about it. Right. Yes. Like we do it fair. all the time, whether it's like the Phoenix Suns and their owner. Share the yeah. findings, whether it's the president, we well, share you're the findings. Right. The buzzword, transparency, total agreement. Yeah. Total agreement. And, and ACC that's should that... come out. That's what I was trying to find. The ACC should come out and explain that. Either saying, hey, they screwed up, which would be likely the right <laughs> admission, or hey, they called this and it was a subjective call, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They should do that. No question. Yeah. This guy, I'm going to tell you because. You know, I have immense respect for Justin Wilcox. And you ta- I talked about this with you last week. I said, there was no way this was a double-digit game going in. Cal had so many chances to win that game. That call early in the second quarter does not decide the game. Cal led the game going to the fourth quarter. They didn't score in the fourth quarter. They got to the 22-yard line in the fourth quarter and couldn't score. Then the officials, by the way, made two crucial calls against Notre Dame in the fourth quarter that prolonged things for Cal. They were both the right calls. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not, they were the proper calls to make, but if, if it's the hometown officiating that everyone was screaming about, they don't make those calls, particularly the targeting call in the last minute on a inter- game-ending interception. You could have looked the other way on that call. They didn't, and it was the right thing to do. They made the right call. Yeah. So um, what, 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 what frustrated me for Cal was to me there was one position group. And the position group that I talked about for USC, Cal's offensive line. Cal's offensive line got blown out in the second half, sadly, because Plummer can play. You see, they have a good young running back or not. They have good young receivers. The the skilled people on offense are there. Their offensive line, I mean, I'll say they got their tail kicked by a good defensive front. It's not a shame to say that. I'm just saying they if they had held their own, Cal, I think, wins that game. And I think Cal will win a decent amount of games this year. And they just need that offensive line to lift their level a little bit. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think you go back to last year and a big theme for this team was I think they had four or five games decided by a score or less. And that's been the big theme for this program of like, hey, it's just a couple plays. And that's what I saw in this game. Like we watched the last minute on my phone after our game. And after that, what we thought was an interception, we all turned it off. Exactly. And I go see Aliotti and Ashley Addison and they're like, oh my God, you see the ending? And I'm like, what ending? We talk Hail Mary. Right. So take that last minute away of, of opportunities. It was, it was other stuff. It was the execution at times that I thought Cal, and I'm sure Justin hit on it because he is not an excuse guy. He's not going to blame a ref or any of that stuff. There was a handful of plays in there where you're saying, man, you just convert that or you get a stop or you pass pro a little better, like ball can get out. And they had every chance to win that game, which leads me to this weekend. It's conference play. Arizona Cal is going to be a fun watch. Arizona doubled their win total from a year ago. I talked to one of their coaches about midnight after the game. They were so excited for that win because of the style of play that North Dakota State does. This is like Stanford of of old. It is as physical of a style of play as they might see all season long. And for them to get that win, knowing that they would get not a lot of love for that win, but two wins, they got a chance to go to Cal and Colorado. There's a real chance they could be four and zero before yeah. Oregon comes to town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it was a great. I watched the tail end of the Arizona game myself. Watched much of the second half, and I thought the same thing. That's a good win because that's the that's the game they stumbled in last year against Amen. Northern Arizona. Couldn't stumble again, and they didn't. Um, and and I would say real quickly, I want to get back to Arizona a second. Real quickly, I'd say my last postscript on the Cal Notre Dame game is good for the conference because Notre Dame is not strong right now. They're not Notre Dame especially with QB two in there that yeah, that may change over time. And Cal defensively did a terrific job against the one guy you can't let beat you. Notre Dame's tight end is a stud. He is just a stud and Cal held him in check. Point being Stanford has to go there and USC has Notre Dame at home this year. That's not looking right now. Like that's going to be as tough a game as it would be in the past. Fourth quarter, Arizona, 
I was flipping back and forth between um, Arizona and Pac-12 Now app. Thank you, Michael. Love Arizona it. State. JB Long. And I was sitting there and my, my I was talking to my wife. My mouth was dropping. I said, just listen. Just listen. In Arizona, the stadium was loud and it was raucous. There was an atmosphere in there that was fabulous. And Arizona State, it was funereal. Funereal. It was horrible. And then Doug Haller, who does a great job covering ASU, has done for a long time on The Athletic, wrote a very piece about that on Sunday, that the stadium was dead. And it was a complete, sadly, statement on the program. And it's just a biggest statement on Arizona's program, what Jed Fish has done there. That place was alive, and you could hear it as a fan at home coming through your TV screen in the fourth quarter. I'm going to unpack a couple things here. Number one, what Ted just said. We were there last year. Um, we had a mic actually on Jed Fish, and they had a rough start against San Diego State. We didn't really get to use much because they just, you know, frankly, it, on the field, the game went south real quick. But in pregame, as I was listening in, you could tell his attention to detail, not only on his football team being ready for the game, but the attention to detail on our stadium being an entertaining place for fans to come and enjoy the game was really insightful. And there's no surprise that place, Tucson's rocking because Jedfish cares about the students and the experience of everyone coming. Back it up, Yogi's point, Cal six lost by one possession since the start of 2021. Wow. And close finishes. Chip Kelly said it great in the uh, post-game interview with Ashley. Great to have someone on the field to do that post-game interview, by the way. Survive in advance. And I, as much as, <laughs> yeah, you want you want a big win against a small school, but if you could, like, as Arizona held on, they survived in advance. That was a gutty win, and it's still your, your team's going to learn something from that regardless of the opponent. And I got to get this in because we're talking about close wins. How about App State over Troy? If you didn't see that, please go to YouTube and find it. It was unbelievable. And the Cuse, 25 well, That's what I was going to oh, say. Seven Yogi. seconds left against Purdue. I got to get that in. Yogi, here's <laughs> the question I've been wondering all week to ask Molinari is, is the Cuse preparing its application right now for the Big Ten or for the SEC? <laughs> or are they just going to wait for the highest bidder to come along? Uh, well, as every good orange does, we wait for the highest bidder. Ted, classic, on, of course, of course. All right, we're going to get to the humanity moment in a second. Um, UCLA, Colorado, kick it off. Uh, UCLA, run defense, run defense, run defense. Uh, I thought they were one of the top two teams in the league coming in the season. They got to stop the run. They were challenged. Colorado struggled on a bunch of fronts. What do they do at home? Kick that uh, off at 11 a.m. Pacific to start your Pac-12 football day. And then the nightcapper, Arizona State hosts Utah. Uh, I hope this team and this fan base of Arizona State rallies around one another. For Utah, um, we got to see a complete game out of them. Let's be real. We got to see a complete game. We get them next week as they host Oregon State. So that's your Pac-12 games. We had a guest. Go ahead, Ted. Okay, hold on. I just want to say one thing because it, it it's, it's going to bookend what we started off with with my talking about the coaching change. Big credit to Rick George. Rick George at Colorado puts out a statement. I mean, Colorado's had a very, very bad first three weeks on the field. And what does Rick George do? Puts out a statement, says, hey, let's all pull together. Yeah. Great job. Great leadership by Rick George there. Well said. All right, Michael. Humanity moment of the week. Take it away. Pretty good segue there, Ted. I'm going to talk about courage today. Courage is defined. Uh, the mental and moral strength to persevere and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Every week, as most of you know, we get a chance to talk to the home team coaching staff on Friday. And often we get the privilege of meeting with some players as well. I always leave the player meetings with a renewed sense of hope about where we're headed as a society. Our goal at these meetings is not only to find out information to help us cover the game, but more importantly, we try to uncover or enhance stories that help us humanize the game's participants. While preparing for a meeting sometime this season, uh, before the game, before the meeting, I saw a player profile from years back that mentioned one of the players would be we'd be speaking with that struggled with his mental health. At the meeting, I invited him to speak about the experience if he wished. The response, a 10-minute answer that followed, filled with eloquence, raw emotion, anguish, vulnerability, and most of all, courage. Speaking to a room full of strangers, he expressed that he has and continues to encounter mental health challenges. 
Sadly, even though most of us know it's unfair, there's a negative stigma that health challenges are a weakness. This fallacy continues to persevere and in doing so exacerbates the problem. There's no way between a football game, a story like this can properly be told. That would be irresponsible. My hope is that in us listening to his story with concern and without judgment, it might most importantly help him with his struggles and maybe sometime in the future, get him to a place where he can share his story with a wider audience and in doing so help chip away at this dangerous stigma. As the season goes on, we're gonna witness displays of people overcoming danger, fear, or difficulty, both on and off the field. But whatever we may see or hear, when ranking feats of courage, everyone else is playing for second place. That's perfect, Amen. Michael. It's well said. And, and of course, I hope uh, like you do that because the word is stigma. The stigma is the, the word in dealing with mental health issues and that hopefully there'll be a, a time and a place where this person will feel comfortable sharing that in the proper form where it can be properly explained and discussed because it is not a 240 character, uh, you know, 30 second viral clip conversation. It, it's that's wrong. So yeah. I feel privileged that to have been there while he shared it. I'll say that. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Amen. Amen. This was fun today, guys. Uh, a little longer than usual, but we had a special guest and we got conference play. So let us know. Um, also our partner at believe uh, if you are one of those people, like we are in our house who love uh, the fast television channels, which is basically like, free access TV. So if you have a smart TV, you can look at the Pac-12 Insider channel. You could also now check out a Believe channel. I was just told that oh. we're going to be on TV too, fellas. Oh, so boy. you can check us out. Just let it roll all day long for all the insight. Uh, the my hair transplant TV. appointment schedule, oh. I guess. And, for, and Yogi, for those who just skip ahead for the humanity moment, one more time. <laughs> Fubo TV, seven yeah. days free. Yes. You can see... Turn it on at five o'clock Saturday. You get to see USC and Oregon State this Saturday, 11 a.m. Pacific. Get to see Utah, Oregon State next Saturday. You don't have to pay a thing. Free trial. Just, our, just do it. Our editor, Tanner, will have all of those links in the show notes. We'll help Perfect. you out. DM Molinari if you got any questions. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. Lots of love. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.